0: Welcome back to Having a Gas, the podcast that talks to the great and the good of the creative industries. And uh, today, I'm going to be talking to um, an advertising advertising industry modern legend. He's the founder of an agency called Uncommon Creative Studio, and they've only been around for six years. Uh, They're a London agency, and the three founders, Nils Leonard, Natalie Graham, and uh, Lucy Jameson, departed the leadership board of, of Gray, which was, I think at the time, maybe the top performing WPP agency. A brief aside, by the way, for people who listen to this for music content, you might be wondering, why do I occasionally talk to advertising people? And it's because we compose music for the advertising industry here at Gas Music. So that was the first set of people I was talking to for this podcast. And then, you know, the music thing kind of bloomed out of it. So. Back to Nils. Nils Leonard is probably the closest analogue that currently exists for the character of Don Draper in Mad Men. Not insofar as he's an imposter using a fake name. Sorry, Nathan, if I've spoiled that for you. Um, but insofar as he appears to deliver a compelling pitch which he believes in and has not created a campaign or an, you know an idea for a campaign merely to satisfy a client's idea of what it should be. Okay, so that's a very long-winded way of saying he just seems to really believe in what he's doing and is getting really good results. They're making really, really good work at the moment. And they won the British Airways account, uh, which they pinched from Ogilvy, uh, a major, major, you know, advertising agency as part of a holding company that employs 115,000 people. Uh, Uncommon employ about 140 people and they managed to get the British, the British Airways advertising account, which has been long seen as one of the centerpiece accounts in our slice of the, in, in, in the British advertising industry. So it's just a long way of saying they're really good at what they do, uh, what they're doing. But also, all the people I know in advertising, all the creatives who come up with the ideas and stuff. Whenever I talk to them about uncommon, they all say, in the same way that Jim Cutler says to Don Draper. Uh, in Mad Men, he's like, we all, you know, we all want to know what are they doing over there? What are they doing differently? How are they winning these things? How are they getting these great briefs and selling in this great work? Because for those of you who don't know, in advertising, the job is really not coming up with the work; it's selling it in, which means persuading your client that you should run with that idea or run with this campaign. So, uh, people all would always be asking, "What's Nils doing? How is he doing it? How are they making the coolest and best stuff?" And I. Uh, obviously i didn't know cuz i'm not really an advertising professional but i have this podcast and so young nathan here pinged as we say a little message over to nils and nils agreed to come on the podcast and it was a great discussion we spoke for about an hour and 20 minutes and none of it sounded like a press release all of it feels like nils is talking from the heart and not that there's some kind of bulletproof expertise but he he just he has a strong vision in which he believes. And I would like to now stop rambling and let him delineate that to you. So I give you, uh, having a gas with Nils Leonard. Nils Leonard. Hello. TCO founder of Uncommon. It's, uh, this is the only one I've been nervous for, for a while. Yeah, yeah. A very cool vibe here in Uncommon because we came, was it like last month and uh, the someone behind the camera there, Aaron said, feels like an art studio, not like an agency, Yeah, was that your intention? Yeah, it's
1: a studio, it is a studio. Really quiet today, needless to say, it's a Friday. It's yeah. legitimately a studio and that's not some bullshit to try and not use the agency word. It's a bit more meaningful than that in that it dawned on me that agencies if you think about the concept of an agency, they're dependent on their clients or they're dependent on briefs in yep. order to go make work. When you think about a studio in the form of a TV studio or an entertainment studio, or even a design studio or making studio, they just make work. Yeah, They don't need a brief. They don't need permission. They don't need anything. That's why we're in this wonderful room, which you are, yeah. told me is like, this is like the merch room. This is a shop, a this shop. is a shop. So when we, I mean, it's not as set up as it should be. I wish it was, but. We got into this building, which used to be Alexander McQueen's studio, also used to be uh, the agent provocateur headquarters for for our sins. Mm -hmm. Um, But we we were in only for two months before uh, COVID and all that crap happened. Oh, right. So we were redoing this as a shop. And and if you look on our website now, the shop's fully operational. That's all that's on our website. Our work isn't on our website. Brilliant. but we wanted to sell the brands that we created and our partner brands. And we wanted to to basically get as much of our stuff out onto the world as we could. Yeah. So we thought the shop would be a great way to do it.
0: Before we start talking about like cool aesthetics and interesting things, I want to probe a little bit into the past and you have full freedom at any point to be like, can't talk about that or there's an NDA about that. or oh, right. I don't want to piss this person off, but I really want to know, this is very different from an agency for all the reasons you just said. And I have really wanted to know for a long time, Why did you split with Grey and (laughs) W2P?
1: Yeah, um, look, Grey was was a really brilliant place for me. And the people there at that time invested in me before I was anybody. Uh, You were a typographer first. I was a typographer and designer uh, years ago. Been in the industry for about 25 years. I didn't go to uni, so I I joined very young. Um, uh, Design, lots of creative, moved around quite a bit, you know, and was, I guess, an art director or a creative director-ish. Abbot Mead, as I left, and then United, where I worked just before Gray. Gray bought United. And at that point, there were some quite talented people there Rona Cairns, Jason Cobold, Richard Huntington, who's now the strategy yeah. director of Sarchi's, et cetera. There was a good crew. And a, the bunch of them, because Gray was literally renowned as where you went to die back then, that was what people said. Um, they were all like, fuck that, I'm not going there. It will ruin my reputation. I remember Jason telling me that going to Gray, I should seriously think about my reputation, mm. you know, and I was like, fucking hell. And I met David Patton, who was the incoming CEO. And David had loads of hang ups about the industry and what he thought it should be and all the above and was more annoyed at how it was than he was scared to hire me. And so as a result, he hired me and just placed an immense amount of trust in my hands. And sort of, I had this version of events that I thought would be interesting. I'll give you an example of that. I don't think I've told this to anybody else. When we started there, they had a lot of really conventional clients and really conventional work. And it was honestly, it was all pretty bad. And I, I sort of started and thought, fuck it's no wonder all the creatives here are asleep, yeah. you know, like passengers. So I started this thing downstairs that I called dark gray in the same building as us was Lastminute.com and a few other people. So I would grab the creatives I thought were brilliant, Jimmy Blom and uh, Jay Marlowe and a few others. And we disappear down there and I'd bribe them with wine and we would just cook up alternative brands for right. fun. And so we- Not alternative made... campaigns. But no, no brands, brands. brands. Right. So we made a brand called <laughs> which was a Love it basically based on the last minute algorithm you know you can't have that you come here and pay me if you want it as an idea just saying no but it was good and it was suddenly like fuck. and that was all on the wall and we thought about how the ux would work and we thought about how the language might work and all that anyway david comes down one day and sees all this crap on the wall and he's like what's all this and i was like oh and he said no i don't want you I'm, i don't want you to stop doing it i just want you to make this great ah and i was like right and i thought fuck, okay Hey, what an amazing guy, what a brilliant stroke of leadership to just do that. Cause at that point I'm like, oh my God, he really sees what we're about. And, um, and so we tried to do that. And we we spent many years of Grey doing pretty good stuff. The truth though of Grey, I was there eight, nine years was I would talk about, and at the end it was quite good. It was 550 people at the end. It was a hundred people when I arrived or something. And and we were, you know, D and agency of the year, or, you know, it was good. Um, but at the end, I, spent, I realized I spent my time talking about 15% of the agency's output. Now people were like, great, it's changed, it's amazing. But the truth is it, ha- it had a bit, but the reality was that 65% of our output was still something I didn't really want to talk about or recognize. At the same time, a client in a pitch says to me, uh, which is a very cunning question, Nils, how do I go from being a brand that sells shit to people to being a brand that people wish existed? And I thought that was an amazing question. So we've made a couple of bits of work like Life Paint, the Anjana Monologues, and I hear this question, it's ringing in my ears. And then I stopped and went, Well, never mind you, never mind a client. How do I name an agency or studio in the world that real people wish existed? Like, seriously, that you and me would walk out of here and talk about on the street, the way you talk about Pixar, the way yep. you talk about A24, the way you talk about 100%. Heatherwick. Yes. And as I write like, that, and it was that last year I started to get into what I call Groundhog Year, where I was having the same budgetary conversations and whatever. Now, don't get me wrong, the guys at WPP and at Gray, and we were their lead agency at the time by far, invested a lot of money in me and a lot of whatever. So I'll never badmouth that. But at the same time, they had hinged up these ridiculous contracts and these hyper defensive contractual prisons for everybody. And it just wasn't entrepreneurial enough. It, like, I wanted to invest in things like Life Paint, I wanted to invest in you know, other ventures that I saw. I wanted to launch our own brands and I just couldn't.
0: So there was a kind of, the, a fairly typical corporate stagnation. We want to be yeah. really bold, we want to be really creative, yeah. but we can only work yeah. in these lanes.
1: Yeah. And I think to their, to their, you know, credit, London had managed to chuck a load of that out of the way or just ignore it. And I learned mm. the power of just saying no. Yes. When, you know, and actually saying no when you have an office. I got offered the global job there and it was a job many people had advised me away from because you don't have an office. So it sounds like the most powerful job in the network, but an office is how you say no. You basically say, well, I've got 500 people, I make 90 million a year, so fuck off. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Whereas when you regard a plane, you just have to say yes. So I was, anyway, I thought all that was interesting. So to some degree, there were some brilliant lessons there and there were a lot of kickbacks to the you know to the, I guess, network vibe, but ultimately they just couldn't get themselves out of that stuff. I'd want to give someone a pay rise. I'd have to go and tell five people yep. in America that I wanted to do that.
0: And that would be a bit of, can you talk to this person
1: as well? Yeah, and they, and they have to leave first. And I'm like, what a ridiculous yes. comment. By the time someone's left or or resigned, their mind's already gone. Yeah. You know? So
0: it's the typical stagnation of like hyper order where yep. adhering to the format becomes more interesting than inspiring. Yep. And, you know. Yeah.
1: And I realized as well, I was in a bubble. You know, you you go home and you I remember the things I used to bring home and show my wife and... It sounds awful, but I'm kind of embarrassed about it now. You know, oh, we made this corporate film for the network and we made blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And I look back and I'm like, that didn't matter to a single soul other than four people at the top of that network. It was a load of shit. Yeah. So um, all of which created enough fury and unease and cynicism actually, which is my biggest fear. To become a cynic is my biggest fear. Yeah. There's plenty in this industry and that is how you die. And um, I realized that was coming. And so I was like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. Okay. Uh, and so, so he left, and then spent a year getting sued. And we can talk about the NDAs, but basically, I was being followed and shackled to the point where they were trying to use their contract to stop me starting. That sounds like more stress than I could tolerate. How could you tolerate that stress? Because the win was worth it. Yeah. It was worth it. Well, it, it was a story I told myself because I didn't know it was worth it, but yeah. Because
0: you have to believe it was actually yeah. an act of faith
1: and yeah. not certainty. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people will not take that
0: leap because they're like, I need a certain
1: outcome. So the way the way we talk about it here and we talk about it a lot with our clients, but it mirrors our own story is, are you more scared of change or are you more scared of staying the same? And I was more scared of staying the same than I was of anything that could happen. out so this. being, being
0: afraid of the right thing yeah. is the key. Yeah. Because obviously the whole thing, I'm very junior compared to what you guys are doing here, which music composers have been doing it for about five years and learning on the job. A lot of fear, lots of fear. It's like, a fear of it not being exactly what I wanted it to be. But it's like, what you wanted it to be might not be important. What it evolves into might be the important
1: thing. Yeah, possibly. I'd, I'd disagree with that. Okay. So, we um, and here's why, is I think that there's plenty of startups. And by the way, respect for starting anyway. I'm not demeaning that 100%. Anyone that goes and does that is a fucking badass, whether it works or not. That's a fact. But when you start, you're given a chance. And... If you haven't had the chat with yourself where you say, what do I want to start? What are people going to say about it in a year? What will I have created? What kind of reference point will I be? If you don't answer those questions and then hold yourself to it, how can you possibly be at peace with yourself about what you've made? Yeah. Now, if just making something is your goal, that's fine. But it's not really most people's goal. It's a moving target, that. Yeah. And so we were like, no, no, no. I want us to be a reference point for this industry. I want our first piece of work to be, you know, disruptive, anarchic, provocative, without any of the restraints of... Yeah. where we'd been, yeah. you know, and it just so happened, it ended up being OVO with Slayer as a soundtrack to your point about music, you know, massive metal head all my life. And and so you, I believe as well, the act of answering those questions is partly you writing your own dream and writing a script for your future. I believe in that. Other yeah. people use manifesting, whatever. The point is this, if you don't paint yourself a picture of your future, how on earth could you hope it'll go okay? Yeah. What's okay? Yeah.
0: And a lot of people won't do that because they're like, well, now I've got this uh, harsh and judged and if yeah. I'm not hitting it. yeah. I failed.
1: Yeah, and and I don't think it it wasn't necessarily monetary at all for us. It was more there's a sequence of events and a type of work we want to make and a way of being in this industry and in the world. And if we're not going to adhere to that, we may as well just be any f- fucking agency. Yep. And that way lies death because ultimately you've done all that stuff. You've been sued. You've left. You've done all that crap. And all you've done is started and thing a bit like everything else. Yes. And that's why it's important. So I don't buy that it's okay just to start and see where it goes. Things will go like that, whether you like it or not. The trick is having something fixed, I think, or a question or a compass of some sort that enables you to keep it moving forwards. So that question I brought up from, from a company that people wish existed, that's still the goal now.
0: Yeah, well that's on your website, isn't it? That's maybe the only thing on the website.
1: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) probably, yeah. The website's a bit of a joke.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, we don't wanna get started on websites theory, but, um, The couple of things I want to pick up on from David that seems like influenced your pattern. Yeah, David Patton. Yeah. One is you can't ask permission; you have to do it and then show yeah. them that it worked. Yeah. And the other is subsidiary organisation. It sounds like David went, okay, I just yeah, to handle was, this. He was a brilliant leader. A lot of people. Well, brilliant leadership is that just
1: trusting people to handle yeah, things? Yeah. Instead so of It's marketing? a part of it. Okay. I think I think I think you. I think if you're not a creative and you're in the creative industry, that was an appropriate way to lead. Which is, you know, if you're not gonna be the one in a room going, we're about this and it's about that and it's about this, and you're actually more of a a conductor or a foil to that electricity, then I think that's the appropriate way to lead. There's a great photo of Tom Ford with a guy called Domenico de Sol, who most people won't recognise, he looks like an old Christopher Lee, They're in the back of a car. And I all, I used to give talks so where I'd show that photo and I go, Who's that? And everyone would go, Oh, it's fucking Tom Ford. I go, Who's that? and no one would have a clue. Now, Domenico was the guy in charge of Gucci when he brought Tom on right. and he would say to Tom, um, right, we currently make 3000 products. I wanna make 300. You tell me what they are. You design the fucking purse. I don't give a shit, but I've set you the guardrails for success because I know that 300 excellent products is the key to success. And that's the kind of relationship I think I had with David, where David went, I know what the business needs to look like money-wise. I know the type of disciplines it needs to be modern. I know the type of work and conversations we need to be in for it to work. But I can't do it. Mm-hmm. So Nils might be able to, as might John Williams, as might Neil Horston. I'll get the fuck out of the way for those guys and see what happens.
0: Yeah, it sounds similar to um, Michael Imperioli, famous and portrayed Christopher Moltisanti on The Sopranos, said the best director he worked with was Scorsese, not just because he was Scorsese, but the reason he was great was because he said, I hired you yeah. because I like your style. I'm not going to tell you how to act it. Show me what you... Co- yeah. Is that similar to how you work with
1: creatives? no. Okay. No, creatively I'm far more um I think there's a difference. I think I think like I say, I think that type of leadership, if you're a business or structural leader, and by the way, I don't think they're devoid of vision. I just think it's different. I think creatively, I think we're not mechanical enough with each other. I think there's a I'd love to get into music with you at some point, but I think I think fame isn't luck. I think music isn't luck. I think emotion isn't luck. I think there's a mechanic to all of it. And I think as we get older in this industry and more wise it's our role to pass that on and be ferocious about what we think those rules or mechanics are. Mm -hmm. So uncommon, there are key questions we ask in every review. When a a junior or a senior person comes in, I'm asking the same questions. How is this famous? How does it dance on a cultural friction? What in this is gonna be referred to? What am I gonna take a photo of? Is there an icon or image for this idea within this campaign that someone could pass on or love? What bit of language could align with the way they see the world, not just the products and the category it lives in? Mm. Like they've become second nature to us. And as a result, I would argue that's a key to our work being, you might not like all our work, but our work being at a certain standard. Yeah. Um, and I think that's not about kind of luck and feeling it out and trust. I think it's partly about that, but it's partly about saying, I trust you, but within the guardrails we're setting within this culture. Yes. Because good at Widen or good at BBH is not good here. It's different. Yeah,
0: different. Would you go so far as to say, those are, those are horizontal comparisons or are
1: you saying, That vertical comparison, being baited, yeah. Uh, No, I just think we're—I genuinely think we're different. I think we have a different endpoint. Yes, I, I really do. I, I try where we can to push our work to a place where I think it will get talked about, make a dent, and matter in a way that most advertising doesn't. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's good advertising. It means it's good creativity. Yeah. And that if someone can get hold of it or share it in their own way, and I've seen examples of that to the point where people have are buying posters from us and they're buying statements from us. And, you know, that for me is a recognition that our work isn't necessarily what you would consider to be advertising. It's, you know, it's commercial art or it's, it's, you know, stuff that aligns with their worldview. Dave Dye
0: once said this thing to me, it was like, if it looks like an advert, if it registers, mm-hmm. yep, yeah, that looks like the
1: format yeah. You're doing it wrong. Yeah, probably, you know, someone once said about our work, the best advertising doesn't look like advertising anymore. Yeah. I think that's true. But I, I guess we're just trying to push for something else. Okay. The last thing I'd say to the point about, are we comparative or not? I don't know whether BBH or whoever else are trying to become companies that people in the real world know, we are. So I would argue that our hit rate and every bit of work we make is pushing a little bit harder at something they're not. And that's not an arrogant thing to say, I just think they're happy maybe to be doing what they're doing, and I don't know what they're doing, and I can't speak for them. But I know that Uncommon is desperate for all our work to be having a conversation in a real world with people where it's not an ad. So if we make something for being cute around COVID and it says, we will grow again, that's 100% not about selling flowers, is it? That's right. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and I just think it's trying to chime with that. I, look, there's brilliant work made by other people in the industry, I'm not demeaning that. Um, I just think the reminder here for us is that we're trying to do something a bit different, Yeah. Uh, have a different relationship with the world.
0: People are afraid of telling, saying to their clients, Um, I think we should go in this direction. I get the sense that a lot of client interaction is tell me what you want. I'll say yes and figure out how to make it happen. How do you persuade someone like B&Q to go with that? This is where we're going. This is what we're trying
1: to do. Well, the first step is why they come here. Right. So I remember being at Gray or other agencies where I would just try and win clients. I used to have stuck under my desk, a win-lose-draw chart, like a football win-lose-draw thing. And I'd have a list of clients that came in for pitches and I just want to tick win. And I wouldn't think about why we would want to work with them. I'd never ask them why they were there. Yeah. Right. So they'd come and I'd say, wonderful. Thanks so much for coming. Let me show you our stuff. I think that's the behavior of most agencies. Now, when people come, I say, the very first question we always ask is just, can we just stop for a second? Why are you here? And if they turn around and they say, I really saw build a life and I want to build a life, or British Original was fucking amazing, something a bit like that, or that one second seat, can you tell me more about that? It means they know what we make. And that already tells me they've come for what we do. Right. Right, Most places don't do that. So as a result, what happens is you pitch and you pitch and you pitch and then you go, why doesn't this client want to make the work we want to make? Well, you never asked them if they did. What do they really want? Yeah. And did they know what you made? What do you make? Mm. Advertising. Right. right, right. And not even this time of year, just just advertising. And I, and I kind of think that's the problem. I think a lot of the time, agencies who are in charge of people's lives as brands don't know what their own brand is and yep. don't know what their own brand stands for yep. and what success looks like for them. And that sounds selfish. And I kind of wish we were all a bit more selfish.
0: <laughs> you remind me a great deal of um, Seth Godin, big shout out Seth Godin, who I've been listening to on the Tim Ferriss podcast, Aaron turned me on to that, who said there's nothing wrong with being a wandering generality instead of a meaningful specific, but you're not gonna change anything no, unless no. you're a
1: meaningful specific. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And I, yeah, I've got lots of views on that. Like I care deeply for the creative people in this industry. And I think the platforms have stolen our best leaders from us and I think, that we have allowed ourselves to be lulled into a con, which is when did the word client services creep into our industry? What was it before in your view? Well, it was creativity. That was what was for sale. What was for sale was radical acts of creativity. You go back to Howell Henry, the birthplace of Abermead Vickers, OGBBH. These people were showing you how radical creativity could transform your business, right? Suddenly we're waking up client services. Now that's not the same thing. That's integration and content and synergy and consistency and frameworks and social, all of which are wonderful, but are not creativity. Yes, the invasion of format. Right. Now that's a race to fast and quick and cheap. Yeah. And ultimately you go, well, okay, if you want to go and sell that, that's fine. But best of luck, that's not the business I'm in. Yeah. And I think that's the other problem as well. So, you you know, I, I look at it and just go, if more of us had a quick look at what we were actually really selling and then asked ourselves whether the clients coming through the door wanted that, you know, it, no shit. They didn't come for what you think you're selling. Yep. Most creative directors in these agencies won't know that what their agency's really selling isn't creativity.
0: It's what? It's cost reduction. Yeah. It is yes. making yeah. things at scale.
1: Yeah. Comfort.
0: Got it. Yeah. The big debate that, you know, rages on with us is just like, uh, is the only thing on their mind how much it costs? In which case, we should just get out of this
1: picture. Yeah. Because yeah. that's not an interesting discussion. No. And I mean, in your world, the power of music like the power, of, literally the, the power of creativity in terms of a creative product. I mean, it's transformative. You know, what would you pay for Cornfield Chase? What would you pay for Swerve City by the Deftanes? What would you pay for, you know? And it's not like a bit like Swerve City. It's either fucking Swerve City or it's not. Yeah. you know what I yeah, mean? So no. Yeah, and I, and I think that's the, that's the difference. No, like, you, would, you would hate the sound like requests. Mm.
0: Of course. Can't afford this, can I have something a
1: bit like it? Yeah. No. We, we try not to do that. If we can't afford something, I'll go in and I'll go... Here's a riff, or I'll try. I'll I'll just try to make something of origin rather than, you know, yeah. I mean, how many C minus Cornfield Chasers are there? Probably a thousand. Too many. Yeah.
0: I mean, you could probably uh, we could probably look in a library in the background,
1: but we're not going to do that because uh, no. But yeah. I mean, the reason I make that point though, and it is applicable, I think, to a wider industry, which is how many agencies are a C minus version of Cornfield Chase, right? And how many are Cornfield Chase? Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the point. You're
0: trying to live in the middle of the zeitgeist.
1: I'm trying to be the thing. Yeah, I want to be not for everyone, but for the people who want what we do. We are that Yeah. as good as that gets, you know. And I think that's the that's what's rare.
0: A lot of people out there were asking when I, you know, because you you know whether you're making a difference. You've been at agency of the year a couple of times, I believe. Is that right? Um, and people are say, what, "What are they doing? What are they thinking about?" And let's try and get the ball rolling here. Um, not that it isn't already rolling, but before we have the discussion, let's figure out what's on your mind. Because as I said, just give me ten things that are interesting to you. The first one's this.
1: What's that all about? So that's a page from a book called Grief is a Thing with Feathers by Max Porter. Uh, he's a brilliant, brilliant writer. There's some things, be it music or words or a film or whatever, that I think hit you sometimes. And I think they become reference points for far more than the object itself. And I look at the way Max has written, in particular that book and the format in which he wrote it. Um And I just think, you know, how many years of words existed? This sounds like a moronic thing to say. How does he find a way to combine words in a way that I don't feel like I've heard before? Intro hits, right? So this is a page from me, it goes, dad, introduction, crow's bad dream. I miss my, it's all about grief. Crow's bad dream, I miss my wife. Chapter one, magical dangers. I miss my wife. Chapter two, Reign of Silence. Chapter three, unkillable trickster. What a brilliant term. Chapter four, Aphrodisiac disaster. Chapter five, tragic comedy. Chapter six, the baby God in the lake. What? Chapter seven, the song. Why does that give the hairs on your arms though? Yeah. It shouldn't. But why does it make the fucking hairs on your arms stand up?
0: Combining not? God and the baby yeah, so associated with things in
1: a lake. Aphrodisiac disaster. Mm-hmm. Like what? Now, like it's uh, Fret Wanking, But it's really, really good because it's like verbal soloing. Yeah, or or it's you know he's playing because it's not a book and that's not a narrative that I understand. And it's not now those exist alongside this in the book. But I love that you're switching through and he just keeps you like a brilliant bit of music or like a anything. He keeps you in the room like he keeps fucking with you and disrupting you with his writing. Yeah, and there is a style. He has style. You know, I think it's more important to have style than necessarily to be coherent. Yeah. Definitely. Yep. There's a Bukowski poem about that that I think I might have sent you to. I can't remember whether I sent you. I'm going to read that. Okay. I, I saved that for you. Once Let's take Bukowski. Bukowski on the phone. I know. Well, I, don't, I hate using him because I think lots of people do, but this is gold. Style is the answer to everything. A fresh way to approach a dull or dangerous thing. To do a dull thing with style is preferable to doing a dangerous thing without it. Joan of Arc had style, John the Baptist, Christ, Socrates, Caesar. I was like, okay. But I think it is, I think style is everything. I think cool is a word that we have demeaned and made peripheral and made trashy. But honestly, it's our game. You know, even way back to some of the ads we all loved or some of the bits of design we all love, mm. you can eulogize the edges and whatever you use flash words. Something is cool or it's not.
0: Yeah. You know, and cool is a word like love that's been overused. That's at point right. where it means nothing. That's what right. you know if you love someone.
1: That's right. And under it is a sense of style. So what I get from Max is this feel around his work and words, far more than I, I, you know, the story is beautiful, but the feel of it, I wanna be in it. I wanna stay there for a bit. You know, and I saw the stage show of this with Killian Murphy. Uh, I went to a reading of his latest book, Shy, and everything that guy presents, he understands the relationship between the experience he's giving you Mm -hmm. and you as a reader, viewer, participant, and it's fascinating. And you can tell he cares about it and understands it. And I know he's uh, mechanical about that there's no illusion or luck there like to our previous comment. He's an absolute master at it and I, I just rate it. And so if I could channel that style or also by the way, I think there's an intelligence to that and a presumed whatever, but I think there's this also this, this disconnect going on in wider pop culture or creativity where we're trying to dumb everything down because we presume that people are not of that level of intelligence. And it's one of the most annoying things about our industry and about the, the work that we often do is will people get it? Do you think they'll get it? Yeah. And sometimes I don't want them to get it. I want them to feel it.
0: Yes. Yeah. Nolan said that. Right. said oh, right. some films meant to be understood. Like, yeah. Not to be understood yeah. but to be felt.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. That. And I think that's true of work. Like, and I think we've released work that some people hate or love, whatever, but they're hit. And if that's better than 90% of the work out there. Yes. And so I, I just look at it and go that, whether I understand what he means by any of that. I don't care. I love reading it. Mm. It feels good reading it.
0: (laughs) You can tell that that informs your philosophy at uncommon because, um, and I'm not going to go, because all your work's incoherent. But (laughs) what I mean is you can tell that there's not an excruciating need to understand and make and connect the point. Yeah. British original. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. What does it mean? Yeah.
1: I could tell you what it means. What does it mean? What it means? It means it's a description of an airline that arguably changed everything in this country. They did things their own way, everything from Concord in the past through to others. It's a description of the people that fly with them. They fly more of us than any other airline, right? And every one of us is different. And it's a description really of their staff and what makes their staff interesting. They all wear a uniform. They're supposedly far more corporate than others. Yet under the surface, they are very much chosen and, and kind of groomed, I suppose, with their originality at heart. Yeah. And then lastly, it's a description of what happens when you go see the world. You become more different. You become more unique the more world you see and that's the role of a travel brand and you become an original yeah but all of that i've just unpacked for you similarly rich original does it give us a license to go and make some great work yep and does it feel right and appropriate next to that badge yep i mean take from it what you want crib notes for other cds let's talk about blue oh yeah um this is eve klein i've kind of told this before but i you asked about our creative process and Someone once told me this too, which is if you're trying to get a company to understand something, a lot of the times leaders are in the business of lists and they love lists or they love, we've written this book and these are the rules of you know our company. And someone once told me the actually, the best way people learn about cultures and religion is a great example of this is through stories. The Bible wasn't a list, apart from the commandments, by the way, which are probably the least successful part of the Bible. The Bible was just a list of stories. That's right. And parables is what they, you know. And so this is my parable for creativity. This is Eve Klein. Do you know this story? I don't know it. Oh, I'm gonna do it very quick. Eve Klein made this color, it's called YK, IKB. He was obsessed with it, it's like an RGB blue. It was like, it, it hits and he would make it in the real world out of powders and paint, Yeah, cover buildings And If you go to Morocco, Marrakesh, there's buildings covered in it. Um, He would do show after show, he was like a rock star in the sixties, right? So outside his shows would be all the celebs of the day and they'd all queue up. He had a show in Paris called The Void. Now, up until this point, he'd been doing bigger and bigger things with the color. So painting bridges and paint, whatever. And the void was there. So all the celebs are there go, I can't fucking wait. I'm going to go along to Eve's show. And they're outside and they're being served drinks. It's in Paris. It's cool. The Jay-Z's of the time, right? The fucking absolute best of the best. They're all out there drinking and their doors shut. Now, like, when are we going to get let in? Two hours are all waiting, still being handed drinks and food. Like, very Frank Ocean. Yeah, right. Mm. Eventually after a couple of hours, they open the doors. They're a bit pissed. They walk in it's a white room, pure white room. No IKB, no blue. They're all walking around. They're like, okay, I can't wait. Is the wall going to fall down? Is the window going to be? Is there going to piss water? You know, is there going to be a, like a crazy wrestler who's painted a blue coming? Nothing. More drinks. They're looking around. Eventually, a combination of alcohol and boredom, they get really pissed off. They're like, for fuck's sake, what is going on? This arrogant artist, <laughs> bastard, has us all here. What load of shit? He's taking the piss. And they all go, fuck this, and they all leave. All right? End of the night. They all go back to their hotel rooms, back to their houses, whatever. And they're like, arsehole getting ready for bed, go to the toilet, have a piss, pure blue jets out, because all the drinks all night were laced with IKB.
0: That's genius you can't access. So you can't can't (laughs) work towards that,
1: right? Yeah. So in a world that didn't have phones, no way of taking a photo of it, your toilet becomes a living work of art coming out of your body. How's that story lived on? Because it's absolutely exquisite. That, that, that really.
0: It's quite punk rock. You have to be quite stress tolerant to put people through that. Yeah,
1: you have to believe it's going to work. It's a form of innovation because you're messing with it. Is it art? Isn't it? All those reasons not to. It'll upset people. They'll hate you forever. Will they? Will they? Will they love you forever? Yeah. You know, will you? Will you be unforgettable?
0: (laughs) And does it make you smile when you hear it? Regardless, and very important stuff. So that. That's.
1: That's great. And. Can't wait to see what Uncommon's answer to that is. Well, we're trying, you, you know, know, we're true. trying. And I, 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 it's a form of magic trick, really. Yeah. And when you think about it, I love I love magic too, for that reason, you know, there's these great stories about how someone grew a playing card within a tree so that 25 years later, they could cut the tree down and pull the cut, you know, any form of prestige or build I adore. Yeah. So I think any idea, uh, you know, that has this kind of longevity, which is rare in our industry, everything is instant, mm-hmm. Um, I think is gonna be more remarkable as, as a result because the whole world is not like that. Mm.
0: And then and, and so trying to build things that are just very reactive is not what you're interested in.
1: No, both. I love okay. that. I love the brash trash of that too. I love playing a part in moments as they happen. You know, that go where the heat is thing. Um, you know, I, I think it's a joy to play a part in the flashpoints of our lives. Yeah. But, but to be special, I think you need to develop longer running, more and more deep relationships with people. Okay. So Britain Get Talking as an example is what I'm really proud of. It's the most recognized mental health campaign in the UK. Work we did with ITV when we stopped national television, that was a really awkward moment, mm. you know, Ant and Dex stood there silently for over a minute. Yeah. It, it, in hindsight, in the case study and all the above, it's like, it's great. But on the day, I remember it was really awkward. People yes. didn't know what to do. And it doesn't look like an ad. No, it, it definitely wasn't. It was like a weird thing. And I I think that the one second suit was, what is that? Is that a business idea? And, and people to this day still are like, you didn't come up with that, though, right? H&M come up with that. I'm like, no, that's the bit we do. Right. And so that sort of stuff. I'm going to put a pin in something
0: that I was going to ask you about because we're talking about maybe. It's, I've been desperate to get onto this one. I don't want to say maybe the last great rock and roll album of all time, but I might be saying that. This is uh, AM by the Art of Monkeys. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's flawless. Yeah, it's flawless. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like how many songs on it? Eleven, maybe? I can't remember. It's very short. It's like yeah. I think maybe ten. of okay. yours. Every one of them's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, there's not a passenger. I don't think there's a passenger track on that album.
0: Not a passenger track, neither lyrically, not compositionally, yeah. nor in the
1: production. Yeah. That guy, and he does it on every album, but I'd argue lately he's, he's, he's on a journey. Um, but that bloke, I think Alex, I think in that album hit a vibe and tone. And I've heard him talk about this, which is what I kind of mean by finding your flavor, your worldview. And he hit a vibe and tone, and understood it completely. Mm -hmm. The the circularity of the riffs, the leaps from from major to minor, and you you know how he's playing it. You know, I just think he really understood what he was going for. Mm -hmm. I don't think you could write that album without knowing. I don't think the album was luck and I'm gonna find my way into it. That's how you write a couple of songs. He wrote an entire album in that vibe. And I just think it's exquisite. The lyrics again, back to like aphrodisiac disaster, the lyrics to uh, Are You Mine? Yes. What the fuck?
0: you know that i'm my, a puppet on a string yeah. tracy island i know what brilliant
1: i mean you're just like uh it's like rap
0: yes well he right. said didn't he? he said i was trying to make was it black sabbath mixed with i want to say jay-z i'm not confident about that but he wanted to make yeah. hard dark rock mixed with hip-hop man Michigan i just top. i
1: remember hearing that and the drums on that are i mean are they,
0: they're the kind of thing that made you think that how did they make that sound
1: yeah not that's just drums yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah i'm with you but also just again his style yeah you know the the he knows when to restrain and when not to like the fills on are you minor off the charts. They're like Dave Grohl at the Queens of the Stone Age, or he's got the style of Abe Cunningham from the Deftones, I think. And I just think that whole album is exquisite. And I yeah. think it's an exercise in literally perfectly understanding a body of work. Like if you wanted to show somebody a crew of people who understood and had confidence in every part of the process is that. It's
0: impressive as well that in a way I haven't seen people do for the last decade Alex Turner, and this is to your point about people's patience and intelligence being more than what we give them credit yeah, for. Right. Uh, was writing very, very long phrases. Yeah. they weren't just over it. Yeah, edit. Right. So as it when that watch, if that watch don't no continue to swing, or the yeah. fat lady fancies yeah. having yeah. to yeah. sing. It's all one line, and yeah. it's all one phrase. Yeah,
1: you know. Yeah, I also argue though. Again, if you asked, if you stopped everyone on the street and said, "Oh, you mind sing it?" They'd all sing it, and the words they'd use would be jarboard garbage. Yeah, does it matter that they understood the words? Yeah, yeah. are they all feeling it? and Do they love it? Yeah, he. I mean, he stops singing that song in the middle and the entirety of how many people are fucking Reading or whatever start singing it for him. What are they singing? I mean, I, 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 you know, you can hear the the Waller kind of assembles on the kind of oh, you know, crazy. <laughs> yeah, you know. That's right. Don't that to through. Wanna be. <laughs> and I just, but it doesn't matter. And I think that's the point. And and that, I just think all of it, man. He let people in. I think to an energy around that fucking album that was sexy. It was dangerous. Remember the music video it was that high contrast black and white thing in that filmed car. on
0: a, uh, a yeah.
1: camcorder. And they, yeah. there's no DP. Yeah. Like, just, yeah. uh, they were like, you yeah, I mean, and he's uh, painfully thin and hot. It's like yeah. the whole thing is you know wrong and, and brilliant and all of the other good stuff
0: yeah and they uh i, I don't want to spend my entire career being uh, embittered about not becoming a successful rock star in my 20s <laughs> but the dude was 27 yeah. and that's like a that's yeah. like a um what would you call it a concluding album to a yeah. body of work yeah it is like, a, yeah. like they've done five albums and two headline oh, no. lots of glastonbury and oh, millions of records 27 oh, years i
1: oh, know I also think the lyrics he wrote way before that, by the way, I mean, even back to the first stuff were wise. Annoyingly intelligent. Yeah, he's a poet. I mean, he is. Yeah, Like, whatever you want to call that approach. Well, they breed some good
0: ones up in Sheffield, you know. Jake Thackeray. Oh, yeah, okay. For those who want to uh, explore some good Yorkshire lyric writing. I um, can't say enough good things about it, but we could be here all day on that. What's next, Bentley? St. John, I didn't quite get because then I saw this book of St. John.
1: And I was like, yeah, that's the actual St. John. Yeah, God. no, that's, that's, yeah, ignore that guy. It's more about that guy. All right, Fergus and Trev. Uh, Can up St. John. see this on this thing? Yeah, I'll get it out for you. The Book of St. John. So, uh, for those of us um, uh, listening
0: only, Nils is going into the actual sure. shop. We're well, shoplifting. There you go. The Book of St. John, Fergus go. Henderson and Trevor Gulliver. Uh,
1: so, St. John's a restaurant, very iconic London restaurant up the road. Um, there is a recurring theme actually now we mention it in all this in that if you look at the book, I mean, yeah, kind of pretty that the whole restaurant is a bakery, essentially, it's all white. It's stylish, but without even trying to be, it's not designed. It's just a bakery that's been painted completely white Mm -hmm. and it has its own energy. It really does not give a fuck whether you eat there or not. It's never tried. The food is amazing. It's nose to tail. So there's everything in there from pig's cheeks through to heart through to whatever. But it's, it's iconic, man. I mean, they do bone marrow in there and a Welsh rare bit off the charts. You can go and eat for 12 quid. You can have a glass of red and a rare bit. Yeah. Uh, in the, and I would advise everybody that goes, you can go to the restaurant. It's wonderful. Go, but don't go sit in the, in the main bit, in the cafe bit, and just order yourself some bone marrow and Welsh rarebit and sit there. The reason I mention it is um, we love it, but we created a habit of every good thing that happened at uncommon. It's about, I don't know, 10 minutes from here. We would just walk up there so when there were six of us and we won the first bit of business or we made our first bit of work, we would walk up there and we would just buy 12 bottles of Le Clos and everyone would just wreck the place and they still let us back. Brilliant. Um, and we've done it since the start. And You're I feel like kind of nice Bullingdon club. Yeah, we're sort of, not even that. I mean, honestly, it's, it's very accessible and the crowd in there is mad. You'll have Tilda Swinton, a couple of architects, a judge, and then, you know, Skepta. Yeah. It's very strange it's, it, and you never talk about it and no one's in there taking selfies. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's brilliant. Um, But it's uncompromising the the point i was trying to make was whether it's alcohol or coffee or tea or cake or whatever it is you have to i think remember to play we've struggled to remember to play and to celebrate
0: oh as in to play as in to be playful yeah i mean that's the i yeah i'm persuaded by the argument that what uh spontaneous play is the opposite of evil yeah right you put on a continuum yeah and this
1: is playful as well as quite serious just take the steam out of everything where we run very hot yeah we run really hot here and it's, we have a lot of serious conversations and the level of candor is very high. And I mean, candor, not ego or critique. You know, it, it's like we're very straight with each other and the level is very high and all the yeah. above. And I think uh, it's really important to remember to to take the steam out of everybody occasionally and just go fuck this doesn't matter, right? Let's all park it, of wine, well done, thank you.
0: Yeah, because to, to make some great, to make the gun kind of greats organization and culture that you're yeah. making here. We can't deceive people about the fact that there's gonna be stress. There can be pressure and tension.
1: Yeah. 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 We're not, I mean, that's something, it's always struck me as those places that build water slides and have bean bags and, and, you know, I, it sounds awful. I never really, success was to find the place that you would make genuinely the best work of your life. And you would be a part of a company that was a part of a moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that a side effect of that is you're a great place to work if you get it right. And all the above, but if you, I've always said, if you want yoga classes and tea, probably don't come here. You know, we didn't Why, do. That. Does that seem gimmicky to you? Yeah, well, no, it doesn't seem gimmicky. I just think it, I'm going to be really candid. I remember doing lots of that at Gray, in a way to try and convince people who were doing jobs they didn't like on clients that weren't making good work to stay. And I'm not saying that those things aren't great techniques for uh, relaxing people, and we have our versions of those. But I think the output and the role of the company needs to speak to something inside you, attached to your ambition progression and something else, not what you'd like to do on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, you're uh, kind of trying to trick people into working a bit. A bit, I'm suspicious of it. And I think any any company leader on LinkedIn who spends more time updating their LinkedIn about the amazing cake day they had or how they went and knitted jumpers and what I learned about leadership, I think is usually full of shit. Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I just think, I think you've got to balance that. I think the, the most high-performing companies in the world in any in any sphere are the ones that find a way to gear everything around the product and the output. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have a lot of fun doing that, but ultimately that has to be the thing. Yes. What's the output of a water slide at Google? Yeah. Keeping people at Google who are desperately bored and unhappy staying there.
0: If they would leave without the water slide, <laughs> yeah, that's like, the wrong answer.
1: Right, you know. Um, and so there's, there's lots wrapped up in that, but I, I'm not saying it's an unpleasant place to work. I'm just saying, I, I think you have to put what we put certain stuff first where for people who really do want to go and put a dent in things that where they realize their jobs and however many hours they spend in an office are a critical part of their life yeah and they want their output to matter
0: yeah very similar to steve jobs philosophy um and i like what you're saying about these guys as well Saint john being like we do this and if you don't want it don't come here it's like there's no worse energy than kind of A a desperate chasing of what Do you want this? Yeah,
1: which is most of our industry.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. What's next? The passing of time is the best advert for a funeral director. Yeah. Uh,
1: Did I send you that? I probably did.
0: Yeah. It certainly came on the
1: list unless Lex shoved it in. So now... um, (laughs) You're going to have to riff on that. No, I'm not. It's attached to the previous point. I should have probably realised this was coming. So you go past a hairdresser over the road. What's outside? What's on the outside of a hairdresser, anyone? Little curly thing, red and white. Remember that? Uh, Remember those? Barber's thing, yeah. Funeral directors, they have a clock. That's clever. (laughs) That's fucked up. They have a clock. It's like a reminder you're going to die. And someone would say, can't do
0: that. It's a little bit upsetting. It's like, but it's real.
1: It's true. Yeah. Now, um so i'm like i was aghast the first time i noticed this i was like stood there on the street on lamb's conduit street going oh my god it's a reminder of the literal fact i'm going to die one day um i go to a german creative festival they've got blank gravestone fly posters on the wall and people are writing their job descriptions or their dreams into them and someone wrote at the end content solutions into one of them and i was like fuck that And somehow they found a way at this festival to coach me into believing that it was my life and it, you know, the time I spent here was my life. And I was like, so, so all of that attached to my previous point, I don't want to spend, some people do, and that's absolutely fine. And some people's jobs are, and I'm not saying your job is, you know, the only thing that matters are all the above, but if you have a thing inside you where you want your job and the hours you spend at your job to be meaningful, to try and matter, that's not something to be ashamed of but that takes a real sense of focus. And what we're trying to build here is a company where your output does matter. You know, where the things we make might create conversations, change behavior, change policy, question government, all of the above. Yep. And that's what we're trying to do. And the reason I mentioned that is because I think time is finite. It certainly is. You know, and that haunted me at Gray and haunts me now.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I'm not gonna riff on it too much, but definitely felt it's like, oh, I'm 30 now. Shit, two more of these at best, that length of time. at best and
1: it's it's Now, i'd love to i'd love to take the pressure off people a bit because my wife who's a incredible partner to me in all this we went to see with our first kid she was pregnant we went to see this gynecologist There's an old guy called lindsay mcmillan he was 80 about to retire and she was having that freak out um that all new parents have where she was like look i'm worried about my job my career i've got to take time out what am i going to do she was a planner at the time and he said, well, cool, I get that, but let me just tell you, I've had seven careers. Hmm. And he said, not seven jobs, seven careers. Um, you know, he was a geologist or whatever and he ended up being that. Now I, I kind of have massive time for that. So I do, I, I am in a spirit where it's never too late, but I'm also in a spirit where I'm like, I look back at a couple of years where I just knew I was floating and being a passenger. And they were A, my most unhappy years, but B completely, I could have looked at those and just spent far more with them. Like they're unsalvageable. You, you can't get them back and also, I think you could light yourself up and say, yeah, but I had fun. Well, did you though? Because yeah. having fun is not working and just going with your family and going around Europe. That's fun. Yeah. Or go to fucking work and absolutely murder it.
0: But you were cruising between... <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the worst bit. Yeah. The worst bit I think is... I was, I was not really working at work and I was not really having yeah, fun out
1: of work. That, so. I was asleep at the wheel. Yeah.
0: That. Um, and as well with... the. What you've said about the culture you're trying to create here at uncommon it sounds like you want never to have the moment where you say, I know this is shit, I know they want some shit, but they're paying us. Just,
1: just Yeah, we don't do that. We don't have passenger clients. We don't have a single, and by that I mean, you know, the client that keeps the lights on. Yes. Um, we used to have those at Grey. It was like, oh, they, you know, those are the B team. Do you remember the B team? Every agency has a B team? the fuck's a B team or people that service a client you wish you didn't have.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that. No, but it's true. Yeah.
1: And I was like, well, let's Lucky not- strike. Well, let's never do that. And so we, we don't we fire clients. If they're not going to make the work we need to make, that's a deal breaker.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that's not an arrogance, that's a defense mechanic. If I put my best people on a client making work that's not good, that we're not going to talk about, I'm not just getting paid to make work that I'm not going to talk about. I'm putting my best people on that. Yeah. So I'm wasting their efforts and energy.
0: Yeah. And ultimately, you know that the, the actual client brand won't get the results they want. Yep. And um, you know, I see a lot at the moment of bemoaning of, how has creativity gotten so bad in advertising? And they I, 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 don't sell it. Well, yes. And also, there seems to be, you're letting the client kind of make it. Yeah. Because every sign-off decision is like, all right, thanks for this. We'll see what the client says. Yeah. But also,
1: I think... I think there's something, again, to those conversations where you go... We've got clients who challenge us, and we've got clients who go toe to toe with us on issues, but they do it from the same place. So we're on the same side of the fence. We both want the same thing. They just think that one way is better than another. Now I'm really happy to go toe to toe on that. Mm -hmm. What I'm not happy to do is go. Here's our deal up front. We all want fame. We want impact. We want to be meaningful, and then then reverse back from that for the next year. That's not the way forward. Um, Someone wrote this thing about some of our work, uh, and they were they were naive enough to write this thing where it was like they've really got to get a handle on this client because I think if they don't, it's out of control. And it's very unlike, uncommon to let the client do this. And I rang him and said, you do know that was my call? You do know it wasn't the client, right? You know, I wanted to do it like that. Like that wasn't, like, don't give me a get out. Yeah. If you fucking hate it, hate it. But yeah. it was us. I say. Yeah, it was us. It wasn't them, it was us. So fuck off. Yeah. Don't presume to know about my client relationship. Right. You know, that pissed me off.
0: It was that, like, do, you, do you see that? Well, that'll be happening a lot with this kind of rising star you're having. It's like, oh, I bet how they did it is that, yeah.
1: Well, I just think they presumed that we had a very uh, conventional relationship where we were somehow burdened by our clients. Our clients aren't a burden. They're like genuinely on a level partners want the same shit. I'm more scared of letting our clients down than I am of, of them not approving something. Right, That's how we feel. Yeah. You know, DJ at EA is one of the best clients I've ever worked with. I mean, he rang me on our first meeting and went, was that it? Is that really? Is that you guys? And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, well, I didn't feel like you you really brought stuff. I was expecting to be scared and this and this. And I was like, well, I was a bit worried you were going to be all about evolution and whatever. And he said, right. Well, imagine I fucking wasn't. What would you do? And I said, okay, give me a week. Right. And we came back and we did the work we wanted to do. And then he went, thanks very much. Fucking brilliant. Let's go.
0: Interesting. So they were actually <laughs> saying you weren't like scary enough. Weren't good for, enough, right? And how do you take that criticism? Is that oh no, shit, we're going to
1: lose this? It's perfect. Yeah. That's the sort of client you need. Yeah, that's the right relationship. I want this.
0: Not, I'm gonna. You know the old cliche with bad re- people in bad relationships. Like if you knew, what, if you loved me, you'd know what yeah. I want. Yeah, that. You don't want those yeah. clients. No.
1: But he was very, he was articulate enough to tell me what he didn't like. Like, I, and he was like, you just haven't gone far enough. And I, I came to you because I've listened to you and I've heard your stuff and. Then, and I wanted to completely re, you know, renegotiate the relationship with the world's biggest football club with culture. Yeah. And is that going to do that? I was like, right, fine. Give me a week. Good point. Yeah. Came back with like, there you fucking go, uh, came up with a logo that's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years, came up with a way of launching it using Dave was like, right, fine, much better. There we go. But, that, but what a great relationship to have my client where he's going, hang on, I'm just not sure this is quite where I wanted it to be and that's a lesson for all of us here. Yeah. You know, actually we've got to remember who, who we are in that relationship. Um, Let's we'll see what happens now. The prawn shack. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know. Uh, why have I fucking told you about that? <laughs> so the prawn shacks, the prawn shacks, um, I think, I think it might be healthy for everyone to have one of these. When... That point you talked about where you're cruising or where you're not quite happy or where you're not progressing anymore. I think at some point you need to go and do something for you that's unequivocally yours. The dream of the prawn shack for me is this joke I have with my missus and my friends, where I'm gonna go when this is done or I'm, I've had enough, I'm gonna go and run a prawn shack and there's gonna be no menu and you walk in and you get what I put on the table and I have two wines and you can choose one or the other. Yep. And it's beautiful. And it has about seven covers and I run it for me. Yeah, I don't run it for anybody else. Yeah. And I open when I want to open and you're lucky enough if it's open.
0: We knew a great guy called Anthony Barnes in Manchester who ran a place called Squid Inc. And it was more or less that. He's like, uh, no menu, I'll do whatever I'd well. Okay, please. Uh, I'll, yeah, I'll pour all the wine and there were 16 yeah. covers.
1: Yeah, that's it. Okay, and the irony being you presume everyone would go, I fucking hate that. What a bastard. Arrogance, et cetera. They don't. They love it because it's a personal endeavor. And also they don't have to choose. Yeah, choice is horrendous. Yeah. But, but, also, but also just, I think there is an in, unsaid fantasy inside people that live that way that you get to bathe in, you kind of go, fuck, that's cool. I wanna be around that energy, don't you? I love the idea of going to that place. Yeah. So whether I ever do it or not, I think there's just something in there for everybody where they assume that type of behavior is inappropriate or arrogant or out of order, or they don't deserve it. And I'm sort of saying, actually, that might be the only way through is to make it completely personal and just exactly what you want. Yeah. And then absolutely everybody will love it, is my theory.
0: Yes, well, look, it's like what George Martin said when uh, he was talking about being approached by the Beatles hearing them audition. So the music was all right, but I really liked them. And I thought if I like them, other people might like them. And sometimes it is that. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think it is. Do you think there's too much, this is a a vague and general question, but in big network agency land, I get the impression and I don't have your experience that there's a lot of overthinking.
1: Yeah, masses, but they're paid for it. Paid to overthink. Yeah. I mean, most of the industry is in the business of decks. So, you know... Making long PowerPoint presentations that you can build two hours while you read. Yeah, and, and that's a result of a lot of clients being in the business of invisibility. I think that, the, and this is true musically, I think there are some people who are just trying not to upset things and or people. Yeah. And that they think their job is to make, but make just enough to exist and not enough for anyone to really notice it. Yeah. And that's an insane thing to say when you think about the role of advertising being to yeah, be seen. It's supposed to be. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of mad. And I think a lot of our industry, bless them, have woken up in the business of Decks, where we sell our time and we do all that other stuff. We have a thing called Faftax here. Faftax. Yeah, Faftax, Natalie came up with it. So if you've worked with us Natalie for six great. months, yeah, my, one of my co-founders, uh, she's got a business and production. Lucy's the other one, uh, she's a strategist. Um, basically, if you've been with us for six months and you haven't made anything, we charge you 25% more. Genius. Which is, we've never had to do it. <laughs> we've never had to do it, luckily. But it's one of those conversations you have in a new business and you go, and oh, by the way, we've got faff tax. And they go, what's FAF tax? And you're like, if you haven't made anything in six months, we are going to charge you 25%. We're here to make things. And they like, basically, and everyone says, as a hindsight, you go, oh, how come you guys make so much stuff? I'm like, we were geared around making. It's an important part of our makeup to be out in market.
0: You designed the brand yeah. to be making, yeah. not to yeah. retain, That's build, right.
1: and sit. That's right. I know it sounds incredibly stupid to say it like that, but most places aren't designed for that. Yeah, That's the role of a studio. So you actually, I mean, you're not, not—you're not. most people will be like, you're not the client. You can't set the carrot and sticks like how we can. No, we are. <laughs> we're a most important client, arguably. Yeah. I mean, if we don't exist for that reason and aren't happy with it, how can we possibly service anybody? And so I just look at it and go, you know, if we're in the business of making, if we hadn't made what we've made, we wouldn't have the clients we have. That's the other thing, by the way, which is this isn't some form of arrogance. If you're invisible, if you're, if you're out, and by the way, your output's the only way you are visible. If you're invisible, how will they know? Yeah. What they're going to come and say? They want. I want that deck I've never seen. <laughs> I want that strategy that you never made. Yeah. They're never going to say that. You know.
0: What's next, Bentley? Legal
1: protection against Donald Trump in the White yeah. House? that's has uh, gone. This confused me because he's not been president for a couple of years. No, that was our first bit of work. So. We were arguing, we took a, we had to have a standing start. We couldn't drum up any clients before, as you know, legal, et cetera. You can't use old work. You can't tell that you can't do this. We weren't allowed to do anything. So the day one was literally day one, you know, um, we put out the press release and campaign. And and luckily the story was pretty compelling. We had a few phone calls and some people got in touch. One of whom was a West Coast um, social media company. And we were like, yay, it was a lot of money. It was like 250 grand. We were like, fucking thank God. but two weeks later, we were arguing, they changed the brief. It went from being entrepreneurial businesses to paid social, blah, 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 blah. It was awful. And we pulled out and we were freaked because we were like, we've just spent two weeks arguing about it. This is not the work we wanted to make. Luce and I are going at each other. And we pulled out and we're like, no, we have to pull out. We have to remember why we did this. And the very next day we got a phone call from OVO Energy who went, we want to have a completely different conversation about energy in this, com- in this country. We've seen your work. Are you really badass? Do you really care? What should we do? And we said, okay, portion of your energy that you provide is green. At that point, no one was providing green energy. Nobody. This is six years ago. Um, And so we said, you should just index on that and just sell green energy. And so we made um, a main film, as I said, that that talks about powering your life differently. It had Slayer on it. It had a rant from uh, the film Network. You know, get mad. I want you to get mad. It was basically an, an insight to get annoyed at the way the world is alongside it we made a viral film with alison jackson where donald trump got a golf club out and smashed up solar panels because he just pulled out of the paris climate agreement do you remember that i remember that one. yeah so we did that but to do that we had to get a legal indemnity against donald trump and the white house so i have that framed um which is insane if you think about it you have indemnity against a sitting president Ooh, which is nuts i mean and i'm pretty sure unprecedented yeah kind of crazy yeah. um you know so that was mad and scary and all the above but really indicative. And I think backing everything about that story is affirmation. You know, I think it's the evidence uh, you need to tell yourself things are okay. That's why I'm telling you it. I'm not like, I I don't want you to think I'm kind of going, I'm boasting. I'm like, we lied to ourselves. We said, we want to do this thing. We want to matter. And we want to be about pushing the environmental agenda and changing behavior and making a different braver sort of work. Yeah. And then we've managed to find a way to back ourselves and do it and i'm sort of saying that when you go out there and try things do happen
0: it's interesting that often it sounds like the fear doesn't cut co- the, the fear you know it's like so you're talking about we're gonna Donald trump smashing up. Yeah. we can't do that yeah too many potential legal yeah. problems too many potential upset voters 50 percent of the population yeah. don't but it yeah. sounds like a lot of that fear in a big network environment doesn't yeah. come from the
1: client no, they're actually like no, no we no. won't get out yeah yeah well you'd be surprised as well i mean there's lots of panics, you know, where new businesses is gonna kill us before we started. Well, it's either gonna kill us or make us. And I'd argue at that time, he had far worse going on than us. Some company in the UK that was six people in an office, like, you know, in reality, you probably never heard about it.
0: Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a really important point to just to put a pin on It's like reality check. Was it Eleanor Roosevelt said, yeah. you'll be consoled about what people think about you when you realize that they don't yeah, think.
1: They don't think about you. That's the point. And I, you know, I, you'd be surprised the amount I've had conversations about risk, that word risk. When you're looking at a client, you're like, mate, the risk is that I spend another 10 minutes talking about risk with you. That's the risk. Yeah. The risk is that we are wasting our lives talking about something that no one gives a shit about. Yeah. And I, I think um, that's just a massive, massive part of it. And it's very half the job, I think, is bathing your surrounding people and your collaborators and your partners and your clients in the same energy you're in. Because I also think what agencies are guilty of is we'll all talk ourselves into this fury here. We're we going to do it. Got this fucking work is great, and then we'll go see people whose list is completely different to ours, and their energy for the day has been completely different. How many microchips go by? And you'll turn up and go rah, and they'll go oh my god. Mm. The exercise, and by the way, I think this is a massive part of our, our industry is articulation. You know, the ability for me to tell you about something in a way that doesn't just make you want to do it, but makes you have to do it. Yeah. Thomas Heatherwick's excellent at that. He he said this brilliant thing, which I think the agency world needs to learn from. The ad industry's got this thing, which is, you know, and then I took it to the client, they didn't have the guts to buy it. They said, no, the client wouldn't let me do it. It It's a common thing. And that we're dependent. So um, Heatherwick said, well, if if I give you a million pounds to come up with something, if I give you a million pounds, you give me a million pounds to come up with something, and then I come back to you and I can't tell you about it in a way that makes you want to do it. How could that be your fault? (laughs) You give me a million quid to come up with it. How can it be your fault if you don't do it? Yeah. So I'm like, we have to take that on. I don't think that's clients. I think that's all of it.
0: And it's the same old thought experiment. Is it? Would you do it for a million pounds? It's like that's literally what the yeah.
1: deal is. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. And so you go, okay. At that point, I think you have to renegotiate your terms with how you're telling people about your work. Mm. Now that's different, of course, if they've come to you for something else. And that's a separate chat we've had already. But you know, if they're coming to you for blue and you're trying to sell them red, don't be surprised. It's so hard to sell them red. Yeah. That's the other thing. Like uncommon when they come, they we go, hey, what do you want? They, we tend not to work with them if they don't want to.
0: Your job isn't to change their mind no. and be like, oh, you are wrong about That's what right. you should
1: do. That's yeah. right. That's exactly right. Your job is to open their mind and then show them a way free. That's exactly right. Brilliant.
0: Benley, what's next?
1: Talk to me about this. KLS. Oh, fucking hell. Right. So the OGs, really. I mean, the absolute OGs in the interest of not giving a flying fuck. Um, I mean, I just... How many lessons do you want for, I mean, hacking pop culture totally changing the narrative you know he wanted to cut his arm off on stage
0: at the bridge did you he actually wanted to go through with that i was like no one's ever done this This is awesome i'm literally willing to lose <laughs> a limb to create this moment
1: <laughs> you know and he fired an 8k at the crowd and dumped a dead sheep at the party and burnt a million quid and then offered an art prize then wrote a number one because they fucking thought they wanted to and then by the way wrote a book about how to do it banksy has got nothing on this right 100 percent now i think I think we've forgotten the lessons that music in particular has taught us about disruption yes and we're we consider- where we're, we're like eulogizing lady gaga wearing a meat dress okay that's old now but i'm like the rage against machines stopped the new york stock exchange stopped it slide uh stopped it like what yes you know now and we're all going oh my god is it going to upset someone if we run this advert about beans that someone might not like i'm like mate. Just start what you're you talking about. what artists were supposed <laughs> yeah, to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like- we were like working on that, not to disrupt the flow. We were working on this film with uh, Joe Corey, the uh, yeah. Agent Provocateur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it was, you know, a, it was a film called, I think it ended up being called Wake Up Punk, I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, and it was about the fact that Joe Curry rightly uh, rightly so, was like, punk rock is now a museum piece. It's a logo on credit cards, and it doesn't do anything. Yeah. And you're talking about doing things and it doesn't have to live in punk.
1: No, I mean, I don't buy, I kind of, I think I understand it, but I think it's slightly tragic chasing or eulogizing or hoping for a resurgence to punk. I think, you know, drill is a modern form of punk, like it's dangerous again or whatever. I think there's always a scene, but I guess I'm saying that music in general has forgotten its power. I think they are not even scared. I just don't even think they consider themselves to play in that world enough.
0: Have you watched Bowie's assessment when no. sock Paxman, no. he says rock and roll when I was a kid was a dead dodgy occupation. Yeah. People would look at you as scans if you said you were in yeah. rock and roll. Now it's a career opportunity yeah, and right. the real danger yeah. is now on the internet. That's
1: correct. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's right. And I think weirdly much closer to what we do, you can be far more activist, but we're not. And we've always believed that our relationship with brands and their scale, particularly brands of scale. And we work with a lot of them now. You have far more power to change things quickly with them than you do now you know writing a track actually but I, I just think we've forgotten all that and and these lessons aren't around and people aren't teaching people about this um you know and those guys to the power of lyrics by the way I mean killing in the name of I mean how you know you know that quote the Saul Williams quote um legislation won't necessarily start a riot but the right song can make someone pick up a chair just love
0: that. It's very, very good. It's well, like a it's parody of, you know, no, uh, there are many statues of great composers, but no statues yeah, of great critics. As that's well. right. Yeah.
1: yeah but, but I just think that's insane. Like, you know, and that's your point about cleverness versus emotion. Mm. Is, you know, there's something about moving people to do something as opposed to explaining. Yes. That's why I also think this government, by the way, or any change we might seek, when you try to do it rationally and people do need the rational and it must exist somewhere. But of course it becomes data and it doesn't work. It doesn't affect you. I also think we've lost the ability to influence each other in that way. Yeah. It, for the important things.
0: Have you read any of Rory's books?
1: Uh, no, I'm not going to lie.
0: It's good that you can, when you advertising, you can say Rory and people know who you mean. Uh, read Alchemy. That's very much okay. up the street that you're talking on. Um, but that's, I think, the last point of inspiration. So now we're on to the unknown, the future. Oh, okay. Now everyone at the moment says...
1: What do you think about AI?
0: Do you have anything intelligent to say about AI? Or is it like, well, I feel like we're just looking over the board, just like, I don't know what's gonna happen.
1: No, I love it. So the conversation about AI somewhat characteristically, if AI is gonna take the boring, easy, repetitive, cheap, and fast parts of our industry and do it better than we could, then what are we left with? The good bit. The important bit, stuff. The good bit. Yeah. That, that's my take on AI.
0: So you're hoping it will be like, because people are afraid that it's a terrible fire which will burn off the dead wood. And it's like, we might need to burn off the dead wood. we do. Yeah, Uh, you need a reset.
1: Oh, burn off the dead wood, whatever you want to call it. Stop us lying to ourselves. Stop the con that the industry's made for itself. Remind creatives of their unique and powerful ability to transform businesses or moments in a way that AI never will. It just never, ever will. So if it's literally replacing speed, consistency, and integration and saying we can plug in things that do that for you, so all that's left is this, I think that's a wonderful place to be. Right. It's a reminder, man. Yeah. The world gives you reminders. If that, it does, does. Yes. And if something's come along to do that, you just got to fucking listen to it.
0: Well, one of them is, one of the reminders uh, at the moment, I think is a reminder that we all tend towards end of history theory because everyone's out going, AI, that's it, no more jobs after this and no more anything. But people have said that about every single technological yeah. revolution that I've been alive for, Never mind the ones before. The faster horses, yeah. Yeah, yeah, faster horses, great. Henry Ford, what a genius. It's like, Office 365 going to have no more accountants because everyone's got Excel. It's uh, yeah. was there anything before this where it's like, I mean, even when you have recorded music, no one's going to go to concerts. Yeah. They'll have it in their home. Yeah. It actually enhances the experience. Well, do you
1: remember the death of magazines? No. I so, don't. so. I, I mean, as a designer, I, you know, when uh, the internet boomed and the people starting online platforms, magazines are dead. Mm. Tyler Brule launches Monocle, black covered magazine, Lifestyle Mag. It's now got retail spaces in most airports. It's a luxury lifestyle brand. Mm. So I'm like, any sort of moment like this reminds you of the real value, I think of any any form of business, yep. but I'm, I'm really hopeful. I don't, I, I don't know, I just, maybe I am an optimist, but I just look at all of it and go, the world's just trying to remind us all about something. Yep. And by the way, AI has could not come along at a time when the whole industry is feeling great about itself. Very good point. Right? We're not all sat going, it's absolutely perfect, please don't fuck Yeah, and like, don't take these great jobs from us. Oh, we're loving it, we're loving it, stop. Yeah. Well, no one's fucking sat around saying that, man. So yeah. a little bit like, well, okay, you
0: know. There's something else seems intelligent about your operation. I'm going to make two more clever points and probably wrap up that wow. Something else, you, you want to build brands. You want to build things that sell. You want to build things that actually make things. It seems like one of the advantages is it gets everyone here in a way empathetic with the client. They're actually just trying to yeah. sell their yeah. wares. Their yeah. inventory is yeah. expensive to keep hold of. Yeah. Sarchi said that. They said, you have to imagine it's your yeah. inventory you're
1: trying yeah. to sell. Well, don't imagine, imagine you started one. You're then faced with all the same problems as well. So we've started now four or five brands of our own. We have an accelerator that's now put 45 brands through it called Unrest. The reason I make this point though is starting a brand in particular is really hard because you do have to kind of make a deal with the devil. You can't, I don't think, start certain brands without playing the Facebook, Insta, TikTok, Snap game. It can't be the only game you play, but you do have to scale like that. That's how we're all still ingesting a vast amount of our lives. Learning to do that, but build a brand from the start. There's many, many brands that come to us, and they're like five years, four or five years in, and they're like, "Okay, we've reached the gigabyte pipeline limit. We're spending seventy grand a month on fucking Facebook advertising, and and it's just peaked, and we have no idea what our brand is. Help, <laughs> you know." And I think that that plus understanding or falling in love with the impact a real brand can have with people. I was at BQ's leadership conference recently. Go with me on this, and I'm sat there, and there's a geezer on stage, and he goes. And I just never thought about it like this. And I found this absolutely fascinating. It like made me almost salivate. He went, imagine I sold a million planks of wood like this. And he's got this bit of wood and he goes, right, that's fucking great. I've got a million planks of wood and that makes however many million, you know. And then he said, imagine with every one of these, with every three of these planks of wood, I sold a saw because I'm not going to cut it with my knee. And I was like, oh, he's like, oh no, i would make an extra three million quid. I was like, no, it's, it's classic sales. There's no rocket science in that. I know there's not. But the primal way that he just brought that to bear man and reminded me of that's what a business is a business is trying to hustle its way through saying do you want that or do you want that as well and if you get that and that you might get one of them like or or just why are you buying it i'm just i'm just compelled by it yes i'm compelled by it. and i look at people like b&q as well and i do think they have a really positive additive role in our lives particularly out of covid i was obsessed with that brand coming out of covid yeah we all went back to our homes man our homes and what it might mean to be in our homes it's huge Mm -hmm. conversation
0: I'm not trying to be sick fanatic, but you guys made the first print ad that actually almost made I'm going to say almost made me a tiny bit emotional. I was like, "Wow." What was that? Drill.
1: I oh it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can do it. Yeah, okay, cool. I was like, "Great. Thanks. That actually made me feel something." Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's some of our favorite work that work. I I think you've been our um, secretly our most creative client. Out of home weirdly by the way, we've been a secret out of home studio. Like we we do quite a lot of it. and I'm proud of a lot of it. A lot of our people can really write and yes. um, the Guardian work and, and even, you know, recently um, BA, are, you know, funny. As a medium, I think it's it's become iconic again. Like if you want to behave singularly, almost like an album cover or a badge or an icon, you can't do that in social anymore. It's littered with crap. Actually, television is a very difficult format to do that in who's watching it. You still got to walk down the road and look at a 40-foot poster though. You know, there's an opportunity. I think it's delicious, you know, yeah. it's like very rare.
0: There's um, a sense... I was at the BAFTAs last week. It's not just dropping that in. And um, James crossed uh, oh, Cross, yeah. meanwhile, he said... Um, I like
1: James. He's a, I hope it goes well for him. He's he's a good guy, I think. And they're, they're...
0: they're good dudes, yeah. And they're, yeah, they're having a go. Let's see what happens. James said, I think there's a fit of romanticization about the old industry as if it was all mad men. It was really cool. And everything was iconic. And I'm just free associating saying, I get it's it's not really about the quality of the old way of advertising, but there is a lot of nostalgia for it. A lot of LinkedIn stories about um, why am I drawing a blank? Hello, Frank Lowe selling to a client, things like this. But it was a type of business, a very British type of business. Mm. The aesthetics, thick glasses, sideburns, suits at work. And it's like, right, we're not that anymore there's some and what we are is kind of unconfident but what does the future look like what's a future agency what kind of vibe what kind of style will it have and i'm hoping that what uncommon is doing is setting a kind of template it's so a studio trying to make stuff thank you M- making is the point talking and justifying isn't the point no that's right so nils leonard thanks for your thank time you. thanks for unlocking some of what's going on in thanks your mind great and conversation thank you for taking this time.
1: oh we can do it again man cheers man thank you
0: Thanks for listening to Having a Guess, the podcast that talks the great and the good of the creative industries. I've been your host, Greg Owens, creative director of Gas Music, and you can find out more about us online and on social media.